Amen. Thank you, choir, and thank you, Murray, and thank you, Frank. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 4? John chapter 4, an amazing kind of thing that Jesus paid it all. <clears throat> I've sat down in the last uh, couple of weeks with the children, some children in our church, and I showed them how uh, we, God wants to give us a gift of salvation. You cannot earn it. But the problem is that we have sin on this side, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so there's no way for us to have salvation that God wants to give us except for the fact that Jesus paid for our sin. I'll show them how it comes together when Jesus was on the cross and he paid for our sins and he paid the whole price. And when he prayed, he, he uh, hollered or he screamed from the cross, it is finished. That is, the price has been paid. And that was a purpose that God uh, sent Jesus into this world to not only show us sin, but to pay for that price of our sin. It is finished. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've had the privilege of sharing that with many of our young kids, and uh, it's been a great, great uh, time for me to share that. Jesus paid it all. Now, uh, look in uh, John chapter 4. And what I'm trying to do, and so some of you have wondered, what is he going, what is he doing? And I just keep wondering and keep not to kind of get you there sooner or later. But, and John, John is showing seven personal encounters that Jesus has had with people. And so that you can have your personal encounter. Uh, Jesus was very good with crowds, but he was best one-on-one. -on -one. And I think John was the first one that he was with. And we looked at Nicodemus last week, and Nicodemus was this a Pharisee of high standing and a man of means and very respected in the community and he comes to Jesus at night. And, uh, but Nicodemus had some questions he had to ask, ask and Jesus answered those questions and kept drawing Nicodemus to himself. But Nicodemus, when he should have gone forward, he pulled back. It was an opportunity there, but he held back. And sometimes we know what the Lord has for us, but we kind of hold back. And he held back. And then he's going to come to Christ in chapter 19 at the cross. And he's going to come out of the closet and he's going to uh, claim Jesus' body in Joseph of Arimathea. But at this place, this place, he kind of pulled back. Well, here's a lady that didn't pull back. She went forward. And you would think that this is the place that... Um, was uh, an awkward kind of place, and it does seem like an awkward kind of place. It's by a well in the middle of nowhere. In Sychar, and Sychar by that well, this woman comes, and it's a hot day. Amen? Do you know what a hot day is like? I think I was in Mount Vernon yesterday. Susan and I were driving through Mount Vernon, and it was like 103. It registered on uh, the heat index keeps going up. It's not going to get any better. I'm glad I'm not playing football these days. I mean, that would be a tough thing to do, but um, the heat index is here to stay. And thank God for air conditioner. Amen. Can you say an amen to that? Thank God for air conditioner. And by the way, I want to, before I forget it, I want to remember uh, I talked to Harold Watts last night and Cheryl. Uh, he's in Jackson Hospital. And so he wanted, me, wanted you to know as a church how much you have meant to him and Cheryl as they're going through this difficult health issue in their life. 
So continue to remember them in your prayers and continue to pray for them that God will bring uh, healing to, uh, they're not even sure, I think, uh, whatever the problem is. So uh, just continue to remember Hare Watts uh, and, and Cheryl in your prayers. I told her all those cakes, she is one of the best cake makers in the world. And I tell you, that, those, all those cakes put him in the hospital. No, she said, no, go ahead and eat the cakes. They might heal him. Now, there's a story that I like to tell. So if I've told it before, just give me uh, grace and let me go ahead and tell it. For 40 years, the British were in uh, occupied India. And so the British bought brought some of their customs and some of their games to um, India. And they, it was coming into a strange land. One of the things they brought was golf, and, and the people in India had no idea what about uh, golf. And so the, the Brits would play golf, and they'd hit the ball down the fairway, and <clears throat> when they hit it down the fairway, they didn't plan on this. The monkeys would come out of the trees. And when the monkeys come out of the trees, they saw that golf ball and they thought it was something to eat. So they would pick it up, take it close to the trees and figure out it wasn't something to eat. And so they would drop it where it was. And the British didn't know what to do with that. How do you do a golf ball that used to be in the fairway and now it's on the, in the trees or next to the trees? And so they finally made this rule and this regulation that you have to play the ball where the monkey drops it. Are you there with me? So you play the ball where the monkey drops it. And I like to compare that with some people that sometimes in the counseling times that I have, sometimes life drops you in places you never wanted to go. And you find yourself as a lost ball in high weeds. And life is a mess. And some other people made some bad decisions. And they put you in that place where you are or you've made bad decisions and you find yourself a lost ball in the high weeds is kind of a mess. And one of the things John wants to really bring out to us as we read through scripture is that Jesus can take the messes of our lives and redeem them. And if he doesn't take the messes of our lives and redeem them, then we're in sad shape. But here's a promise that he does take the message of our life and he brings something good even out of the worst situations. And when we give him our hearts, he makes a difference that only he can make. And here's a woman that's in her, her life is a mess. She has more ex-husbands than Donald Trump has indictments. Amen, are you there with me? And they're, but they're not through. I think he's catching up with her and maybe the pastor but she has had five husbands and they've all kind of rejected her. And she felt the sting of reject rejection. And I think she finds a way in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be around all those other women. Two of the identifying remarks of women in that day was to be married and have children. She doesn't even have either one of them. And she's moved in with a guy and her standards are kind of going down. And she didn't like who she was. She didn't like the way she was. And she came to a place called the well in Sychar. And there was Jesus. Never in her wildest imaginations would she have thought that God would be there and come after her and change her life. 
So let's read about her. I, uh, if you have your Bibles, look at John chapter 4. And would you stand as we read God's word? Would you do that? We'll do verse 24. That's a good place to start. Verse 24 says this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must. And that's a, that's a strong verb. There's no other way to worship him. Just showing up is not going to be it. They that worship him must worship him in spiritual. That is your attitude and where, who you are on the inside and in the truth of God's word. So the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes who is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am. I am. That was a broken woman who is being redeemed. Uh, I am comes all the way from Exodus when Moses was told, Can I, who, what is your name? And he said, I am. There are going to be seven times throughout John that Jesus says, I am. So he says, I am. And that was the greatest disclosure that he had disclosed of himself up to that point. I am. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, I am. And he is a hope we have in Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. I think uh, one of the uh, scariest places that I've ever been was at the Wilby Theater. Um, I mean, it was a scary place to be inside. You never knew what was going on at the Wilby. How many of you remember the Wilby Theater? Would you, you're old people if you remember the Wilby Theater. But uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon was playing there. And man, I couldn't get him out of my head for I don't know how long. I knew he had followed me home and he was in the closet and uh, the closet I occupied with my brothers, and we had about two pair of pants in there, and that was about it. But um, he was under the bed. He was there anytime, and he was outside my window. He was everywhere. He was kind of that monster that just stuck in my head, and I couldn't get out. Life has its monsters, and there are monsters that get inside of us, and they kind of run our lives and they determine how we treat others, but it also determines how we treat ourselves. And here's some monsters that kind of get inside of our lives. Uh, one is uh, guilt, and that guilt just kind of stays there. It won't go away. And you go places and you think things, but every time when you're quiet and you're with yourself, whatever you did or whatever happened to you, that guilt kind of stay comes back. And it kind of haunts you like one of those monsters. Another monster is greed. Greed kind of hides itself among decisions that we make. Should I give a tenth to the church? Greed says no. Just do what you can. Do Give God what's left over. And greed kind of hides itself behind. And it helps us or it stays there to make wrong decisions as we face those kind of monetary decisions in our life. Another is envy. Envy, envy kind of sticks there, and with Joseph's brothers, it just kind of stick, stuck there because they looked at Joseph and they said, he has his coat, we don't have a coat, 
But more than that, he has our father's love and, and he talks to Joseph differently than he looks at Joseph differently from us. And envy just kind of stays there. I wish I had this or I wish I had that or I wish I had something else, had, somebody else has. And all of a sudden, envy is like a monster. It kind of stays in there and holds our attention. I wish I had this. Wish I had that. But here's what my, um, it does, envy does. It takes our eyes off of what, uh, it puts our eyes on what somebody else has, and it takes our eyes off what God has blessed us with. Envy is a monster, but also anger. Anger is so hard. Anger just sits there. Anger is a hard kind of thing because it hides behind all these kind of decisions that we make. And anger just sits there. And it's easy for us to uh, point out somebody else's anger, but it's hard for us to see that anger that sits inside of us. And anger just kind of pours out. And we say, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Because this is anger. This woman has been hurt five times. Five times, a man has walked out on her and left her there and said, I reject you. And so that anger was there. It came out in what she did. It came out in what she said. So she's there at the well with all this anger and built up. She comes in the middle of the day because... She don't want to be there when all those other women were there and they would talk about their children, talk about their husbands, and maybe even talk about her. So she comes in the middle of the day. This is um, the time when the index was up. I'm sure it was kind of hot. And it was, and as the index comes up, we're kind of short with people. And as the index comes up, uh, hot makes us uncomfortable. And we can get angry, and those anger soon comes out. And all of a sudden, there we are. And we said it or did it, and we said, you know, why did I do that? Is that anger kind of hiding back there? Is that kind of monster that stays? And so she comes to the well. Jesus had been there. He came to the well, and, and God had put it on his heart to come through a place called Samaria. Now, Samaria was kind of half-breed, so they were different. And later on in the gospel outline in Acts, he says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So most Jews would bypass Samaria. They wouldn't even go there. But God has just put it on his heart to go through Samaria and go through Samaria. Sometimes God puts those things on your heart and think wow where did this come from he kind of whispers in your deep part of your life and he says you need to do that um several years ago i was uh kind of in late uh day and and all of a sudden this person came on my heart and he was still about 15 20 miles away and and he was going through a rough time and he was dying and and he just god just kind of put him on my heart so I went to his house and went in and talked to him as he was on his bed that was right there. And, and uh, he was in between morphine injections. 
So it, the one that he had was kind of weaning off and, and he was fixing to get another one and then he wouldn't be able to recognize or understand things. So I came in and I grabbed his hand and, and I said, so-and-so, do you know that you need to receive Christ as your Savior? And if you've received Christ as your Savior, would you just squeeze my hand? And he squeezed my hand. And why that was important, because they came in with the um, injections and no longer was he able to. He was a window of opportunity that God had kind of put on my heart. And if I hadn't have followed through with that, I, man, that would have been. Oh. So sometimes God puts things on our hearts. And he kind of whispers in our hearts. So Jesus is by well at Sychar. And as he sits down, he's tired. The disciples go in to get food and get takeouts. That's what you do with takeouts. You go get those takeouts. I went to Big Mike's last night in Thomasville. I recommend that. Amen. And um, they say if preachers will mention these restaurants' name in, in their sermons, then they will give you a free meal. So I'm not always going to do that. I'm trying to do that. So I had a takeout. Susan, I had a takeout last night. But uh, so he sits down at this well, and this woman, they're different. She's a woman, he's a man. She's a Samaritan, he's a, he's a Jew. There's so much division between the two of them. But Jesus kind of crosses that barrier. And he speaks to her. Nobody else would speak to her, so he speaks to her. And he says, would you give me something to drink? And it just kind of bridging, it's not a line. She had heard a lot of those lines, but it's kind of bridges that kind of gap. And you gotta be careful to how you speak to an angry woman. Can I, do you have any testimonies? Be careful how you speak to an angry woman. Um, here's a truth that I wanna pass on to you. Um, never ask your wife what's for supper while she's mowing the grass. Wait till after she mows the grass and then be careful. Don't say I didn't warn you, okay? So he crosses that barrier and she says, how can you, you're a Jew, and that's the first thing she calls him, you're a Jew. How can you as man ask me, a Samaritan woman, for something to drink? And Jesus bridges that gap by talking to her about living water and water that he wants to give us. It's not stagnant water like that well will produce. This is running water. Uh, when the Arabs came, Lawrence of Arabia took all the Arabs into in France in World War II for a meeting, and uh, they were just fascinated with the water, and, and they put them up in hotels. And when they left, those uh, Arabs took faucets back home with them because they were so fascinated with the fact of running water. They didn't have running water. And so here she is uh, there, and she wants to know it's water, water. And if I could just get that running water, it would cure my thirst. But here's what it would do for me. It would keep me from coming to this well every day. And I'll get tired of coming to this well every day. So Jesus speaks to her, and... and he gets through the running water, and then he asks, he says, if you have your Bibles, would you look at verse 15? 
she says, or woman saith unto him, sir. So she has come from um, calling him a Jewish man to saying, sir. So there's this kind of respect and there's this progressive revelation as she begins, as Jesus begins to deal with her. Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, need to come here to draw. And Jesus said these words. And I like the way he dealt with her guilt. He said, go call your husband. And right away, it hit that nerve. She said, I don't have a husband. And she's truthful. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know all about that. And the man that I'm living with, moved in with, he's not my husband. And it was, a, it was a deep hurting place that she had, but he didn't stay there. She goes a little bit further and she says in verse 19, I believe you're a prophet. And then she talks about where do you worship? Do you worship the Adif place in Sychar or Mount Gerizim where they worshiped and Jews worshiped in Jerusalem? Where's the place to worship? And it doesn't matter about the place, says Jesus. What matters is your attitude. What matters is the spirit you bring to that moment. That's what matters. And she says, when the Messiah comes. So she's progressed from a prophet to the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he's going to put all these things together. And Jesus said, I am. Something happened to her deep inside at that moment. She became a new person. And she went back into town, brought all the townspeople back in to hear Jesus. And she said this, this message, come and see. Come and see what he has to offer. And so she comes back and all the townspeople come in and and it's a revival that happens in an out-of-the-way place with a society outcast woman because Jesus has changed her life, and he can do your life. He can change our life. Finally, they come to the end of that in uh, verse 42, if you have your Bible. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of your saying, We've got our own experience, and her experience is a good experience, but I need my own experience of knowing the saving grace of our Savior. What this is indeed, the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see how that's progressed, and her revelation of him has progressed? Oh, wow. What Jesus can do with a messed up life and what he wants to do with mine and your life, they can also be messed up by the lost ball and the high weeds. Now what happens here is that Jesus applies his grace to a wounded place. And when he applies his grace to a wounded place, it's like a sore that you bring this salve that kind of coos it, and it breaks a sting that is there. He applies his grace to the wounded place, and he can do that to me and you, and all of us have wounded places. He also takes her spirit and connects it with his truth 
And when her spirit connects with his truth, there is this kind of um, connection of trust. And her trust factor had been destroyed by five men who had said, no, I don't want you. Jesus rebuilds her trust factor with his truth. But he gives her a new experience. A new experience that goes past that old experience. A fresh experience. And all of us need a fresh experience. I mean, we may have made that decision before, but we always need to update it. Or maybe there's this hurt, but the way you get over a hurt is find a new experience that pushes that old experience back in the past and places a fresh experience in that moment. Got to illustrate that. When I was uh, in the Army, um, I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. I signed in. I never volunteered for the 82nd. They told me, you have volunteered. But I don't ever remember volunteering for the, in the 82nd. Not only did they say you have volunteered for the 82nd, you volunteered to go jump out of airplanes. Now, it takes an idiot to jump out of an airplane, a perfectly good airplane. And so I said, listen, I'm scared of heights. And they said, that's all right, we'll help you out the door. <laughs> the Army has a way of persuasion. So I went to um, jump school in Fort Benning. Uh, and um, by the way, I met Cosby Carmichael. Cosby was also jumping out of planes there at Fort Benning. And we went out and jumped in the first plane, and it was a C-119 which is probably the worst airplane ever been invented by mankind. It's held together by baling twine and duct tape. Amen. So that uh, album guy must have put that together. But we jumped and we had a successful jump. We came out of our ready room, the second jump, and there was this 141s. It was in C-141. They're jet aircraft. And they have this kind of restraining wall because you don't jump out of a C-141. You take a step out of there because this restraining wall is keeping all that jet engine from burning up your backpack. So you walk out, you don't even have to count to four. It's just, it's just up there. So I, I came out of the door. And let me tell you, that is, you can call that what you want to. It's an existential moment. It was like going to the board with Miss Seymour in plain geometry. I mean, probably both of them are terrible places to be when you have no idea what the answer is. And nobody around me has the idea. I, I would have sat next to Vernon Wells next time in plain geometry. Vernon graduated from Harvard. But um, I came out and that shoot was up. And I thought, oh, praise the Lord, I'm living a day. Amen, I'll go into ministry if you'll keep that chewed up there. <laughs> and about that time, this guy comes past me. And he's got caught what's called a May West. And the May West is where that line uh, wraps around your chute and it goes down the middle of the chute. And he had two, two parachutes or two kind of floods on both sides as the air was shooting that chute. But you fall, you have something holding you up, but it's a fast fall. And he was falling faster than everybody else. And I heard they have these microphones on the ground, and the microphones go all the way up to 2,000 feet. And as the microphone went over, it said, jumper with the malfunction, pull your reserve. Jumper with the malfunction, pull your reserve. So he pulled his reserve, and it wrapped around him. He's, he's falling, but he's falling twice as fast as everybody else. And 
So he, the guy on the microphone said, jump over with the malfunction, forget your reserve, prepare to land. I remember that. <laughs> and he hit the ground and bounced. And they had a Jeep out there to pick him up. And this is what the Jeep did. They took him to the next airfield, put him on the next plane, and put him up in the air. And they said this, army logic. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. He needs a new experience to replace that old experience. And God does the same thing. He gives us a fresh experience of his grace, which helps us to go past those old experiences. Sometimes old experiences like monsters can play in our head and they get more attention than the fresh experience that God wants to bring in mind in your life. Now we're going to sing for our invitational hymn, Jesus Paid It All. And a lady was sitting in the choir uh, in Maryland and that song just came to her and so she was writing it. She wrote it down while the preacher was preaching. So if you're have a song that's coming in your heart. By the way, choir, you just write it down. It's okay. You can write it down. Jesus paid it all. And you may not be like the woman at the well, but there may be some things in your life, some monsters that kind of stay in your head. He wants to apply his grace to that hurting place. And all of us have hurting places. Now, would you bow your heads as we turn to uh, Jesus paid it all? And let me just kind of pray for you a minute, and then we'll have the invitation. Lord, we pray for your grace to come to our hurting place. And what you've done for the woman.